You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. At this point, it is both obvious and in some ways a bit tiring to bring up the fact that, yes, the pandemic was terrible for actors and devastating for the arts as a whole. So don't turn off the episode just because we're going to talk about that today. Because there is a certain portion of artists that were hit in a very unique way. Those just graduating and joining the performing arts as COVID was putting an end to it all. Today's guest not only survived that devastation, but found a renewed sense of who he was as both an artist and an individual. I'm uh, Noah Crandell. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I live in Brooklyn, and I am an actor, director, theater maker, and occasional server. (laughs) Noah is the very definition of an artist, someone who sees the world and the potential of theater in a different way from most of us. He and I will discuss how college programs are preparing actors, or not, for the real world of acting. He'll share why he turned down an audition for Hamilton, twice. And he'll uncover the ways that he's found meaning and purpose outside of theater. Because acting isn't always everything we hope it to be. It's hard when you have a one-liner audition every couple of weeks and, you know, getting excited about it, then nothing happens from it because that's the nature of the business. And so here I was, I think, really just putting all of my energy into these small auditions and didn't feel any reward from it. Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode here on Why I'll Never Make It, an award-winning theater podcast hosted by yours truly, Patrick Oliver Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week, I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe, donate, and find past episodes. Again, that's why I'll never make it.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, Noah. Thank you so much for joining me. It's so nice to meet you and have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, now you and I, we both kind of got our start doing church theater. For me, it was... Uh, choir concerts, Christmas plays, and stuff like that. For you, it was a uh, it was a production of Moses at your synagogue where you yes. played the Red Sea. Yes. What was it like being the Red Sea? Oh, man. I mean, as far <laughs> as I can remember, I mean, it was, it was exhilarating. Um, right? I do... What was your motivation, your character? <laughs> I mean, I do remember, um, I think I was also maybe a plague as well, but I do, the Red Sea is what I remember the most, but I know there is a video somewhere of me as a plague and then 
waving to my parents only for everyone else to leave the stage. And I'm there like alone waving to my mother <laughs> and then kind of looking around and like, you know, having to, to book it. And then, you know, I got, I got the bug and I've been, I've been stuck in it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> You've graduated beyond Red Sea though. I have, the- <laughs> yes, thankfully. <laughs> Now, there's this joke, but I guess it does happen about these acting exercises where you play inanimate objects like trees or whatever. And in your case, it was a body of water. I've never actually been a part of those acting exercises. Is is that something that you did while at school? Oh, my God. I mean, I don't know if it was inanimate objects. I know, I mean, I feel like most actors who have done, you know, actor training, you know, we've been... We've been animals before, so you know lots of animal work. Um, when I was at, uh, you know, we were talking to. I went to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, and um, one of the the teachers there who was who only left, he retired maybe three years ago, pretty recently, and he was just a legend. You know, he was probably late seventies, early eighties when um, he finally left. And there's a big, uh, he's the movement teacher and the whole training is this mask progression. And so one of the things is uh, one of the first like masks that you wear is actually like a hood and it's like a black hood that you put over yourself, like a black turtleneck and black tights. And it's basically you trying to be just this neutral form. And so there's a lot of work with that. A lot of people loved kind of making their own pieces using these types of forms. So lots of inanimate objects in that as well. So, you know, I think I, yeah, there was, um, I was a part like these, when I was, it was my first year and some seniors did a little scene from singing in the rain. Um, they did like the good morning tap dance. And I was, believe I was like a desk in a chair at some point. So, you know. <laughs> so so this has been a theme I guess throughout so. your career so far. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into the uh, to the first story, which talks about after you graduated from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts with BFA in acting. And what followed was a horrible year of auditioning here in New York. And because of that, you ended up leaving the city, or at least after that year. What yeah. uh, what made that year so tough for you? I mean, I think it was like, and I feel like many people can relate to this. Um, you know, I've been acting since I was 12 years old. I went to performing arts high school. And then, and yeah, like as we were talking, UNCSA, it's part of the, the UNC school system, but we have our own campus. You know, we're uh, a couple hours away from Chapel Hill, we have our own little entity, and it's only an art school, you know. So basically, from the time I was, um, God, 14, you know, it was like freshman year of high school until 22, I was really only around other artists. I was acting every single day. Um, and I went to this uh, small arts high school in St. Paul, Minnesota, that was also, um, yeah, just really, really creative. Um, had some really great teachers there as well, but yeah, you know, I was just so used to doing, doing the thing every single day and I graduated and, you know, in May, 2019 and moved to the city in June, 2019. And, you know, I was lucky to get representation right after school and, 
you know, I feel, yeah, very fortunate about that, but it's, it's just a different world. And, you know, when you're new to the scene, you're not getting a lot of great auditions and really exciting auditions. You know, it's this guest spot and it's a little network television thing, you know, something that at least for me doesn't really get the juices, get the blood pumping. Um, and it was really lonely, you know, here I am too, you know, um, I make a lot of my own work and that's something that feels really important to me. And it was just so hard to find any time to do it. You know, here you are just really trying to survive in, in New York and, you know, how do I, how do I pay rent and kind of just finding, you know, what's the day job that, that works for me. And it was, you know, this first time in eight years that I really didn't have this constant thing in my life anymore. And yeah, it was just really, it was really hard. Yeah. It sounds like it was a, a wake up call in some respects because yeah, you had been in school, you had been constantly doing projects you did your own work. You did a, a solo work that you brought here to the city called memory boys. So your experience of the city certainly wasn't new, but this experience of having nothing else to do but just audition was new to you. Yeah. And so here I was where I think this was the trap that I found myself in during that, that first year is really, it felt like my only artistic outlet were these auditions for me. And, you know, and this was before COVID, but at least by this point, I only ever went into the room if it was for a theater audition. But even before COVID, every film and TV audition I had was still over tape. And that really was the majority of the auditions I was getting. And so trying to translating my my work into the camera and not having uh, you know, a reader really in front of me, you know, I'd have like a friend kind of, you know, off to the side and everything. Um, but yeah, I fell into this trap where I felt like my only artistic outlet was doing these auditions. And, you know, it's hard when you have a one-liner audition you know, every couple of weeks and, you know, getting excited about it, but then you know, do it and then nothing happens from it because that's the nature of the business where, you know, it's going to be a lot more no's than there are yeses. And so here I was, I think, really just putting all of my energy into these small auditions and didn't feel any reward from it and you know as i i think we'll talk about later um there was a real shift for me because then i i left new york because of the pandemic and i really told myself that i i wasn't going to come back until i really made the conscious decision to prioritize my own artistry and that's how i was going to feel successful being in this city. Yeah, because COVID was really a, it was a mandatory break for all of us yeah. as actors. And I think during that time, we all reevaluated our place in this industry, what we wanted to do, what was fulfilling, what, what wasn't working. What were the, what were the questions and answers that you were coming up with for yourself during that time? Yeah. I mean, by this point, like when, when COVID hit, I, you know, I hadn't even booked anything. I hadn't, I wasn't even working yet. And I was, I was kind of relieved 
um, when the pandemic first started. And, you know, I was in New York as it was happening. And I, I was working at a, at a barber shop um, as like a front desk person. And, you know, lost my job pretty, pretty quickly. And really was just like, okay, yeah, I'm going home. I'm going home. You know, it really like, it was, I, I, I forget the exact date, but there was like that date in New York where suddenly like, it, it was, you know, like NYU, I remember like shut down and some of the, like the colleges were, were beginning, beginning to close for the semester. And then there was like some day where everything just kind of like stopped and I think I was like on a plane two days later. I was like, I need to reset. I'm unhappy. And I just needed to get away. And, you know, I kind of did what everyone else was doing. You know, I first, you know, was just happy to not have to touch anything, what I did. But I guess, you know, a big part of it was I was in Minneapolis when George Floyd was murdered. And I think just like everything got really got put into perspective for me. And of being in my in my hometown and watching all this unrest and i grew up in a space in my high school and also in my university as well with this uh idea that using art as a tool for real transformation whether that's through through the self um societal transformation and feeling like if I am just using my artistry, my toolbox for episodes of television and whatnot, at least, you know, as the only way to channel my artistry, it wasn't going to be useful. And that's not how I could have a, a career and really be able to do this with the longevity of a career I wouldn't be able to sustain, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's not just... Yes, it's certainly nice to see yourself on the stage or on the screen and and having booked something. There's certainly a joy in that. But yeah. yeah, we I think we as artists do tend to, if not at first, but eventually we get to that point where we want something deeper. We want it to mean something not just to us, but mean something to other people. Definitely. But it sounds like that you had already had ruminations of that doing your own solo work. You 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 thought about the things that you yourself wanted to say rather than just doing what other people had written. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I did this show called Memory Boys, probably, I think it was the summer of, uh, it was either 2017 or 2018, I forget. It was at Dixon Place and it was part of their Hot Festival, which is specifically for LGBTQ artists and, and it's new work and they specifically are encouraging where, I mean, they don't want anything that has been performed before. And it's really workshop base it's just you know it's really for artists to try out new stuff and yeah you know m at my university it was a kind of classical bfa conservatory style program but at the end of our fall semester every single year we had this festival called intensive arts where you come back from Thanksgiving break and, you know, you have about two weeks left and there, there are no classes. And all that you do is that you create your own work in the last two days of the semester, the whole drama school gathers. And it's like two eight hour days of performing brand new work. And so I was lucky enough to go to that school where creating your own work was really valued. 
And so I wrote this one show, Memory Boys, kind of like spoken word monologues. And it was letters to different men in my, in my life at the time who I had learned something from, whether that was from, you know, uh, past relationships with, you know, lovers and boyfriends and uh, things like that. But yeah, it became really important to me to have have my own voice. And that was something that I, that was really valued around me. And yeah, kind of like I said, I think it kind of stems from this great training I had at North Carolina, but also at this kind of artsy fartsy high school that I went to in St. Paul that and kind of growing up in the theater scene in in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis and St. Paul, that yeah, I was really surrounded by the grand potential of what art can can be when it's coming from yourself. And and there is something about growing up in you know this Midwestern city that is so far away from both coasts that the artists that I I looked up to growing up. I w- we weren't surrounded by this version of what success looks like kind of on the coast, but people who were really valuing in the smaller roles and where, and, you know, small independent theater and making their own work. And yeah, just this really uh, creative bubble that nobody was really looking at. So I think people could really be very adventurous at times and i really got to be really up close to that growing up which i think was a huge guiding principle and you know for me for me as an artist and it sounds like at north carolina that continued with you being able to to experiment to explore without the confines of a particular path or what you had to do so do you think in general that your college education that it trained you to be an actor and that you felt prepared once you came to new york definitely definitely um yeah it was uh it was experience that that i always wanted um yeah you know i've been acting since i was 12 and i knew that i wanted to go to a conservatory program and you know there's been a lot of changes to the school that you know just in terms of um a lot of people retiring. And so I know this, the program is, is a lot different. So I don't know, really know if I can say much about even what the program is now, but at least my time there. Yeah. I was, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience for me. Yeah. And what would you say were the biggest takeaways that you had from this, you know, this break that we all had in COVID, but then coming back to the city, what was it like? How were you different? Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I really made a choice for myself that I wasn't going to come back to the city until I really prioritized my my own artistry in a way that I was really neglecting. And, you know, I I love, I love acting. I really do. And I've been kind of discovering that for for myself again. Um, I felt like I, I had lost that love during the end of my time at conservatory, which I think is no, not uncommon as in these conservatory acting programs where your final year you are kind of being introduced to the industry. And, you know, we were, you know, really fortunate that we had a lot of influential casting directors and agents and managers come to North Carolina and speak with us, but it can really get in your head. Um, I think especially as, as a queer person, it can really 
make you doubt yourself and feel like you need to fit into some mold that maybe the industry wants you to be. I've had a lot of different goals and interests outside of just acting, but I think I really got lost in in the heat of the moment of, you know, wanting to really kind of go down the straightforward path where that feels really recognizable to the people around us. That's the harbingers of what success looks like. And so I got lost in that. And, you know, so I, I leave New York, COVID, I tell them I'm not going to come back until I really feel like I'm prioritizing my, my own artistry. Also is a thing where I didn't really have a lot of money to go back. You know, I, was was unemployed and I had to go to New York at one point, move a bunch of stuff. And so I got this COVID job. My brother works in, in politics and he got me a job as an organizer in the Biden campaign. And so I was working on that for like the last parts of 2020, my goodness, or 2021. Uh, I did this job and I, I was dating this guy at the time and we were really, we were doing long distance. We were really wanting to be back together. And he's like, when are you coming back to New York? And I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And it was then that I really began exploring this idea for a show. It was the show that I started developing when I was in college. And it has to do with my own relationship to the AIDS epidemic and my own own history and kind of how it lingers in queer people in the present. And I was developing something kind of of that vein when I was in school. And when I was at home in Minneapolis, I really started really experimenting with this show. And what it was, was I would go into my basement in my parents' house and I just set up my iPhone and my practice is very movement-based. And so... I just began turning on my phone and I had this little projector and I started projecting images of different paintings and photographs and videos during the, the late 80s, early 90s, during, during the epidemic and just experimenting with sound. And it was during that period where I told myself like, okay, like I really have something. And so I'm going to go back now to New York and I'm really going to do this. And because of that, of really making that my priority, what of course is, you know, the, I know ironic is the right word, but I think maybe because I cared less, I, you know, booked three on-camera things. I think this uh, following what felt the most truthful for me led to success in, in every direction. Yeah. I mean, the, people say that when it comes to relationships, for example, that you tend to find someone when you're not looking for that someone. Totally. You know, the, the, there, there's something to be said for when our mind, when our attention are in other places, that other things can come into our life rather than a singular focus on that one thing. And it's all the important. So it, I think it, it just shows that, once again, the diversity that we can have within our own life, our own experience can only bring more to us. And if we just focus on one single thing. Absolutely. Yeah, it was something that I wasn't expecting at all. And and I'm really and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of of the work and all the ways, you know, I just did um, a guest spot on Law and Order. And 
And it was really fun. It really was. And I think allowing myself to being really, really grateful for, for the opportunity. Now, in every episode, you get three stories. But if you want bonus segments with extra audition stories and the final five questions about lessons learned and what making it really means, then what you have to do is subscribe to WinMe at whyillnevermakeit.com. You just click subscribe there or here in the show notes, give this podcast a little money, and you'll get the full episodes with all the stories and bonus segments included. And another benefit of subscribing is that you won't have to listen to any ads either. Well, getting into story number two, during that time as you were transitioning from school into New York, you, you talked about having this showcase and it was around that time that you were asked to come to audition for Hamilton. Yes. And you, as any actor would, of course, you said no. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, what was it that led you to not want to audition for the biggest show in New York? I know. I feel like people are going to hear this and they're going to throw like their phones against the floor. Like, what? <laughs> you know, I was 22. Like, who does this 22-year-old at the time think he is? Um, and let me tell you right now, it is not because I think I'm too good for Hamilton. That is definitely not, not the case at all. And so, yeah, so I do do my showcase in New York with the school for people who don't know a lot of college programs during the end of their fourth year, they go to New York and LA, they do showcase of scenes for casting directors, agents, managers. And so we're in New York and we do it and I get a call or I get an email asking to audition for, for Hamilton. And I mean, something about me is I do not do musical theater. I'm not a singer. I'm not a dancer. I'm by no means a rapper. So I am just absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified. And I'm in like a holiday inn in Midtown sharing a hotel with three other guys we, there's only two beds like we have to share a bed with like our class i mean like just like there's like no space at all to prepare for this audition and but you know i get this audition and i'm like you know freaking out i'm so nervous and they they give me like two days to look at this material and you know for anyone else you know you know it's hamilton like everyone knows this material uh i've never listened to like any songs from hamilton um I like I I don't know the show really at all. And so here I am like the only space that I have alone like in this hotel room because we're all just, you know, cramped is in our bathroom. So I'm like you know, I've locked myself like in the bathroom of our hotel room to have like some alone time and I'm like putting on headphones and I'm just like listening to i remember i that i had to sing dear theodosia and some rap song from that I, I that i can't remember and you know i had about like 48 hours to really to prepare for this and you know it's just like it's not coming together it's really really not coming together i do a mock audition the night before with a classmate of mine and she just kind of stares at me like after you know, just really like has nothing, nothing positive to say about, about my work. <laughs> and, 
And I'm really upset. I, you know, in, in my showcase, you know, we, we're, we're not a musical theater program, but our, our program is known, though, to attract a lot of singers. And we do one musical a year. So there are a lot of really talented musical theater people that come out of my, our program. And so a couple people usually during our showcase out of like the 22 of us, usually to sing. And I was not one of them. You know, there was nothing in my showcase that showed that I was a, you know, a worthy candidate of Hamilton. And one of my classmates looked at me, you know, he was like, Noah, like if you booked Hamilton, like against all odds, is that something that you would even want to do? And I just like listened and, and then, yeah, like once again, I feel like people are going to like throw their phones against the floor, but no. And, you know, it's nothing against the show and what that show is. And I know it means a lot to a lot of people. And I think from when I was learning about it in those two days, because I really didn't know the material a lot, um, well at all. I mean, the material is fantastic and it's hard. Oh my God. But it's just, it's not me. I'm not a musical theater actor. That's not what it is that I, I want to do. And it felt like it would have been a waste of, of my time. It would have felt like it was a waste of their time. And there's this, I feel like, mantra. And I think especially for young actors and out of college programs and really putting a lot of value to like their professor's words. You know, I certainly did. And there was this mantra, at least that came out of my school, you know, you know, you can't say no to an opportunity. Right. And it feels like as actors, you know, we're constantly just trying to hold on to any opportunity that, that we can get, that we lose the value of our own voice and our own instincts and everything about that email. And I saw Hamilton my stomach dropped out of just, and I don't think it was even like fear, you know, about like, oh my God, like this is too big. Like I won't be, I can't touch this. Like I don't want to, to fail in this type of way, but it was really like, oh, I don't want to do this. And what are people going to think of me if I say no to this? And luckily, you know, I had a lot of people who really supported that, that decision. And I think it was a big learning lesson for me about the power of saying no. And well, I mean, the funny thing is, so, you know, I, I politely declined. I think I just said like, you know, they saw the showcase and they kind of know that we're there for like two days and things are really crazy. And, you know, I politely declined seeing there was a conflict and they were like, okay, no problem. And then I get to New York. And so they asked me, them, they asked me again. And I remember I had a friend where it's like, well, you have to do it now. And I'm like, no, like, no. And I was like, I can't back out now. Like, I can't. And so, but then I really kind of politely then like explained a little bit more, you know, like, I'm so honored that you thought of me to come in for this. And I have to be really honest with you that I'm not a musical theater actor. I don't have these skills that I know that you're really looking for. And they responded and really thanking me they're like oh my god thank you so much for being honest with us in that way we really really appreciate it yeah because i'm sure that they get a lot of people that just that pester them want to be in and then it doesn't 
become anything. They're totally. Like, oh. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think just knowing that, you know, like they're very busy people as well. And they have, you know, a very limited amount of time. And it felt like I would be taking that spot away from someone who I think would be a way better fit. And I knew like in my gut, you know, once the decision was made, just like this feeling of relief. And that's how I knew like this was the right decision. Who knows? You know, I'm 25. I'm pretty green. You know, maybe in a couple of years, I'll be like, wow, I was such an idiot. But, you know, if I you come like- to that realization where you wish Hamilton was now a yes, you'll be a different person. You'll be a different performer. You will have grown in different ways. And so, sure, totally. And so, if if Hamilton, you know, for you right now, if Hamilton is a no, what would you say is that criteria? What is it you look for that is a yes? Well, I mean, no musicals. I will, I will say that. Just, uh, <laughs> I do not have the skills for it. <laughs> um, but right now, you know, I, I recently auditioned for this beautiful play, The Wanderers, by Anna Ziegler. That's a really phenomenal play. And, you know, I think of, uh, I've auditioned for a couple of really great TV shows like on uh, FX, um, something that's really pushing the medium and pushing what it is that art can be. And a lot of that is the more experimental theater. I think that's something that I've really, you know, I grew up around. Um, like the show I'm doing, we're doing it. It's a, it's a durational piece. So we'll be doing it for 18 hours. And basically, like the audience can kind of keep coming and going. And, you know, it's like a kind of like a two hour show that we just keep doing in a loop. You know, something that's really challenging what it is that, and especially theater, because that is my background, how I first started it. And really, it means everything to me. But especially with theater and live performance, what is going to push that medium to, to the limits of what live performance? can be you know sometimes it's uh, a play and a play can do that you know i was um recently i was taking this acting class and had the the deep fortune of working on a scene from phaedra's love by sarah kane she's a british playwright who has passed and she was predominant in london in the 90s and her plays are gruesome and pushes and, and really asks theater makers to collaborate with each other. You know, she'll write these crazy stage directions, you know, like, and daffodils rise from the ground or a swarm of rats come on stage and they like drag a body off. You know, she writes kind of these impossible directions and what she's doing is forcing theater makers, actors, designers to collaborate, to figure out how are we going to, to solve this? So I feel like that those are the kinds of projects that I'm really looking for, where I am being asked to be a big part of the process. And I think, you know, that's something where I think a lot of the times people don't see actors that way as a part of the creative process. I think in theater, more than film, at least, they they do ask you know, actors to be more part of the process. But I think somebody who really started off as an actor and who really loves the craft of acting, 
but aren't always taken seriously. I think it was something that was really hard for me and was a reason why I started to look at other pathways in the creative sect, I, I suppose, um, because it felt like I wasn't always being taken seriously. And I wanted to really put my my own voice into, into the process. Because I feel like we all we live in this day and age, especially, you know, with like every website it feels like has like now their own like streaming service. I mean, we're just so saturated with content. You know, why your piece? You know, why why your TV show? Why your play? Because we have enough. You know, there is enough out there that we don't really need anymore. So why is it that your thing needs to be seen? And I want to be a part of projects that that answer is very clear. Yeah, because it's not just important for us to, as actors, to be a canvas upon which a story can be told. We're, we also have to be the painter as well. We have to be a part of that. And I think it, it sounds like that that's what you're looking for, a place where you can not only be where the story happens and imbibing a character that way, but also being a part of creating the character and creating the story around it. Totally. And, you know, I think this even kind of goes to, you know, at least just like having your own voice in the matter that in a way kind of goes to like me saying no to Hamilton of here I am, like I need to listen to, to my own voice and, and saying no and trusting that. And the same way that, you know, I want to be in the spaces that I feel like are mine and use my voice as well. And I think that's something that young actors I know I've experienced feel like they can't give, you know, even when you are in the room, like you've booked the thing, it feels so hard for young actors to feel like they have something to contribute to the process, to, to the play, you know, on set. And I, I think really only takes time and trusting your own voice. And I think making that a habit as early on as possible is something that's really I think really helped me that I do feel really proud about that. I was able to be like, you know, I'm no, this isn't, this isn't right for me. You know, Hamilton is not, not right for me. And, and I'm going to say no to that. And I think it's only, you know, yeah, helped me in the long run by making that like a daily habit for myself of let me listen to what it is that I really need right now in this moment. Yeah, because I remember whenever I auditioned for Jersey Boys, again, at the time, it was a huge show, best musical, you know, it, people were just dying to be part of that show. And so I got my, uh, it was like 25 pages or so of just stuff to to go through and learn. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And I finally did it. And it was one of those where you go in with the casting director alone, go through it, work on some stuff, and then the creative team is brought in mm -hmm. and you audition for them. So I basically got to run it twice. And the first time it, it went all right. And she gave me some notes and tweaks. And then I went in for the creative team and I incorporated some of those. I didn't do that, you know, so it was, you know, kind of an uneven audition, at least mm -hmm. from my perspective. But yeah, the feedback that I got after that audition was that she said, Patrick just isn't in that world of mm. Jersey boys. Yeah, And so it's, it's that same thing of, and which is true. I, I I don't think that while I think 
capability-wise, I could do the show, but it just doesn't, it's just not a part of me. Totally. And the, and the kind of character, the kind of roles that I could do and really uh, portray well. So it was a lesson to me, kind of like what you already learned by just saying no, but it was a lesson to me of really figuring out what I bring to not just the audition room, but to a character, to a story and how I can maybe make it better, but at least give it something new that it didn't have before. Yeah, and, because it's like when it, it doesn't fit, it, it doesn't fit. And I think there is, you know, I can be really hard on myself where, you know, I'll be like, I'll, I'll, I'll get some sides and, and, and even if, you know, if it's for something that, you know, like, oh, this project is really cool and, you know, and I, I'm doing it, I'm like doing the tape and I'm looking back and, you know, I've prepared and I'm just kind of, you know, watching the footage and you can got, start getting these, these thoughts in your head of like, oh God, like, you know, am I not good enough? All these things, you know, just all the, the things that we as actors tell ourselves. And then maybe it's usually, you know, kind of like a little bit after the fact and, you know, you don't get the role and you kind of look and you're just like, you know, it just wasn't like, I didn't fit into this character that, you know, they were, they were asking of me. And I think there's this need, you know, like as actors, we are, we are transformers and we can shape ourselves to, to be anything. And, you know, some of the greats, yes, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, Meryl Streep, you know, some of them, you know, these are the people who really have those kinds of skills. But I think for a lot of us, it doesn't mean that we're not talented, but sometimes, you know, it just, it doesn't fit. It's not, and I feel like it's just as, as simple as that sometimes. And that was a big, I think, learning lesson for me, you know, like for you and Jersey boys. Yeah. Like, you know, you can know the material really well and you can have the skills, you know, it seems like, yeah, you are a musical theater actor, you know, you can, you can hit the notes, you can learn all the lines. And then sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I'm just not meant to be in this world of this show and that's okay. And on to the next. And for you, you had a high school of arts, you had a, a college of arts, so you've really been a part of theater and storytelling and, and making things like that. Yet, for story number three, you want to talk about discovering a life outside of theater. Yeah. And, and af after graduating, you placed value in, in cinema, books, friendships, relationships, and ultimately rejecting this idea that we have to do something every day that moves us forward in our career. I mean, for most of us, theater is not only our job, but it encompasses our, our hobbies, the, the people that we hang out with. So what made you want to look outside of your theater bubble for this other life? I mean, I think a lot of it also was the pandemic that really stripped me away of community, of, you know, of activities. I tried before the pandemic, you know, to see a show once a week or so. And, you know, leaving conservatory, this was something that, you know, our, our professors really told us, you have to do something every single day that furthers your career. And so here I was sitting in Minnesota and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do here that's going to further my career? And, you know, I think there were, there were maybe some people who really kept up with reading plays and things that did move forward their craft even during that, that period of time. 
at least for me, you know, like I just had no energy. You know, it's coming off this, like I said, it's really weird year being in New York. And, you know, I couldn't see plays anymore. And so cinema has always been something that's been really important to me and, you know, like art house films. And, you know, so I was like, let's dive into, into like some like Tarkovsky films. Let's like look at some Edward Yang, who is this phenomenal Taiwanese director. And let's like open the, the Criterion collection and just dive deep. And what could a life outside of theater be? And, you know, especially also, like, I was exploring at this time, like, my first real, like, my first serious romantic relationship. And I think as a queer person, that was something that I didn't experience in, in college and was something that I really needed to put my attention towards. I want to look at myself and how do I show up in a relationship? And, you know, that relationship really made me look at myself and my own habits and my own behavior, you know? So, you know, ultimately I feel like it only has served me as an actor and as an artist, you know, what can feel like, I mean, it's so simple, but also like this, what felt like a revolutionary idea of like, let me read nonfiction. You know, what if I just like, didn't read any plays for like a year, what would that look like? And at least for me, that was really important. And to kind of get away from this idea that I have to do something every single day that moves me forward in my career, but what just moves me forward as an individual and as like a citizen of the world? You know, what's it like to work on a political campaign, to go to, to protests and to fall in love and to do all of these things. And it was something that I think I, f I feel really grateful for about the pandemic that I feel like the advice that a lot of my professors gave us about what the industry is and, you know, how you gain momentum. I mean, it just kind of like all went out the window and the industry <laughs> yeah. is not the same. Like nobody, all of, I feel like the lessons that they taught us was for an industry that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, in many ways, the rule book is gone. Absolutely. Well, whatever rule book there was. When, then it's like, you know, F that. Like, let me just follow what it is that makes me happy in this moment. And let me read the things that, that interests me. You know, I just, I, I, I never wanted to be one of those, those actors that have felt like the only thing they knew about was like what's on Broadway right now. And, you know, I know some actors that are like that and it doesn't mean that they're not really talented, but if that, that just never was going to be me. I will counter something that you've said though, that you're trying to pull away from this idea of do something every day. But I think in some way, just everything you're describing, you are doing something <laughs> that's furthering your career. Yeah. Because you're tapping into yourself and in, in a business sort of sense, we are the commodity, we are the product, so to speak. And the more you can better that product, more you can better yourself than the better actor you're going to be in the long run anyway. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like what we talked about earlier, the classic thing of, you know, you know, if you're, when you keep looking for the relationship, the relationship doesn't come. And then when you stop looking, and it was the same thing, you know, once I stopped putting so much pressure on myself and just allowed myself to kind of be who I am and allow myself to follow my own interests. You know, I think even in terms of just auditions, 
my more of myself came alive and I was able to be seen as who I am anymore. You know, it wasn't obsessing over like, oh my God, like what am I gonna wear in this tape? Look at something kind of, you know, going through my closet and be like, okay, yeah, like that works, that works, that works, and breathe into into the audition. And, you know, I had a friend as well who, and this is, you know, kind of a side note of just what it's like to audition over tape and kind of the scrutiny that we now have as actors is to go through every single little detail. And he does three takes. That's it. Three. And that's it. That's all he'll, he'll do because the obsession is, is relentless and you can really go on forever. And I know, I know people who do, you know, 30, 40, and it's like, you know, he does three and, and that's it. And that, you know, it goes even to earlier in the conversation of not making acting the most, I guess, like important part of my life anymore, or not making these auditions my main outlet for artistry. It's a, it's a component. And in some ways, it's a more business-oriented part of my toolbox. And how can I make everything just a little feel a little bit more equal? Mm-hmm. You know, if I yeah, I'm gonna spend the time doing doing the tape, and but I'm also really gonna spend time working on my show and working on the scene for acting class and all these other things. And I'm gonna go see this art house film at BAM, and you know, then I'm going to spend some time just like at a coffee shop, reading this book, where not everything is solely focused on more, yeah, business-oriented or, you know, what feels like the most obvious version of what success can look like. And so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these things that I have been doing has helped me as an actor. You know, I have booked some small things, which I feel really grateful for and really excited about. Yeah. And I also feel really excited about a lot of other things in my life and about friendships and relationships and and my family and travel and this goes on. Well, it's such an important thing, I think, not just as actors, but just as people for us to focus on any single part of our lives, whether it's our sexuality, our gender, our race, our religion, our profession. I think to focus singularly on and define ourselves by one singular thing really limits who we can be as people. And I find that those that find that balance a little better tend to map their own path towards success. They have their own, you know, they march to their own drum and they find a life that's more fulfilling rather than those who focus on one thing. There's one way to do it. There's this, there's that. They tend to get boxed into what what it means to be those particular things rather than a diversity of experience that I think and, and uh, what we've been talking about, it gives more depth and meaning to all the other areas of our lives totally, as well. Totally. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you being on this podcast and sharing some, uh, some thoughts and time with me. So it's a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and meet you. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining Noah Crandell and me today. And remember, you get access to bonus content and conversations by going to whyillnevermakeit.com and click subscribe, or just look for the link in the show notes. 
All right, now let's get to this week's comment, which comes from Nomi9220 via YouTube. They write, An excellent interview. So much compassion and empathy shown to Blake. My heart goes out to Blake. He shows so much strength, opening up to his innermost thoughts and feelings. Well, Nomi, I totally agree with you. That interview with Blake Stadnick was at times even tough for me to just ask the questions and then hear his heartfelt responses. His story is so moving and inspiring. And I must say that working with him in 42nd Street at Goodspeed last year was a true honor. And I couldn't be happier that he won Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical at the Connecticut Critics Circle Award last month. A big congratulations, Blake. Well, that just about does it for me. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast, which is a production of Win Me Media, with Maria Clara Ribeiro as co-producer. Background music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Please be sure to join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.